Hey guys, welcome back to the Purpose of Money podcast. Today, I'm super excited to be joined by Felicia Fro. We're going to talk about what it means to be a physician and a real estate investor and how to make your money work for you. Felicia Fro is an MD and also the owner of Money with Mission, an investment company focused on empowering professional women to build wealth and achieve financial freedom through social impact investing. As a real estate syndicator, Felicia has partnered with like-minded investors and has raised money for several social impact projects, including a residential assisted living home in Kansas City, Missouri, and with her parents at the Echo Alliance Group. She is working to provide healthy food options to food desert areas with indoor vertical farms and grocery stores. In addition to real estate investing, Dr. Fro is a licensed urological surgeon with over 20 years of experience. She has written many best-selling books, including How to Create Wealth That Outlives You. Plus, she's an advocate for sharing the great work others are doing for their community through her podcast, Money with Mission Podcast. Hi, Felicia. Welcome to the show. Hello. How are you, Aquania? I'm awesome. Did I say it right? Yes, you did. (laughs) Thank you so much for being here today. I'm super excited to learn more about you and your story because it always surprises me how physicians can find time to get into so many things, including real estate. But before we hop into that, um, I'd like to take it back a bit just to see and give my audience a perspective of what is your money background. So if you don't mind sharing, what was money like for you when you were growing up? That's that's a great question. Um, and part of that has to do with why I have the company I have and why I serve the people that I serve. My um, my father, both my father and mother were professionals. My dad's a veterinarian. My mother was a social worker, a master's in social work, very, very educated. Even their parents before them were very educated. But we you know, while I can't remember really wanting for anything, I do feel like we, money was not, we, first of all, never talked about money. Um, and you, you, I, seems like I remember hearing money doesn't grow on trees, you know, all the, the same stuff everybody hears. It seems like to me, everybody that I know hears and the, you have to go to school get a go to college, get a good job and you work until you don't want to work anymore, which is usually, you know, 65, 70, whatever age that is. And then you retire and then you can enjoy your life. That's what it always seemed like it was going to be to me. Um, My mom, my, my drive right now is because my mom stayed in her marriage that she didn't need to, it was not a good situation. And she stayed because she didn't have a lot of options financially to leave. Um, and when she ultimately did leave, she left us. I was actually in college, but left my sisters with my dad because she felt like she didn't have the financial wherewithal to take care of them. So that has been my drive for women to have options so that they don't have to be in situations they don't want to be in, whether it's a relationship, whether it's a job, whether it's whatever it is you have other options to support yourself financially outside of that situation. That's so powerful and very important. That's another reason why I target women. I was raised by a single mom with a dad who was in the military and 
you know, very present, but traveled um, most of his career in the military, lived overseas, and then retired to Georgia when his service was over. But I've seen how sometimes when you're a single mom without the help or financial support of a partner, it can be quite difficult to provide. And then if you find yourself in those financial situations where you have children as well, mm-hmm. it's it's just a struggle. So I too target women and I totally admire your passion to do the same. So that kind of leads me to one question because before the show, we were kind of talking about our roots. My family's from Panama. My mom's from Brooklyn, New York, right? And in the Caribbean culture, it's all about being a doctor or a lawyer. And anything outside of that, it seems odd, right? (laughs) (laughs) So did you become a doctor because that was the one of the options laid out for you? Or was that actually a dream of yours? My dream that I recall was to be a veterinarian like my dad My dad told me that if I was going to school for that long, I was going to go to medical school. So from that moment on, and it it really feels like it was a moment that he said that. And then from then on, I was going to medical school. I later found out that he really wanted to go to medical school. (laughs) He had gotten accepted into medical school after veterinary school. And that was in the 60s, early, late 50s, early 60s. So Black man, Southern, Southern United States. It was, he got accepted into medical school, but by the time when he got there, there was a whole bunch of mess that happened and he ultimately did not go. So he carried that. And I guess I got to live that for him and become that physician that he didn't get to do. That makes sense. I could totally see that happening. (laughs) And parents are so funny about it. They won't even tell you that's what happened to them. They'll just be like, I'm so proud of you. You're going to be a doctor. And you're like, why did everyone want to be a doctor? (laughs) And I didn't get to that until I was already a doctor. And then I was like, wait a minute, this isn't quite what I thought it was going to be. And I had this drive to do something else, which I was just thinking about that earlier. It was from within five years of being out of medical school residency and in my first practice that I realized this isn't the end. It just didn't seem like the last thing I was going to do, which was very, very scary considering I had just, you know, spent all the time I had spent and my college was even a little bouncy around because I was going to medical school and I'm not going to medical school and I'm going, there was a lot going on. And then to get out and say, yeah, I don't think I want to do this forever. It was a little scary, a little scary. Yeah, that's a huge investment of your time and money. And then to realize you have another passion, but that's me. (laughs) I have a whole 15 year career in one field. And then I was like, oh, I like to talk about finances. I like to help people with money. So what was your aha moment exactly? Do you remember? Was it a a particular person who you held? Was it a moment in time where you actually was like, I could get into personal finance. It was somebody helping me. And it was, um, I was in a practice with a group of women. We bought a building together and we were, another woman and I were starting a business. So this was a whole new thing to me. And this woman that I was starting the business with was already an entrepreneur. She had started an insurance business for truckers and had made a bunch of money doing that. And she gave me Rich Dad, Poor Dad, or told me, go read this book, which I read. And it was just like, 
you know, oh, money, assets, liabilities, all these words that made so much sense and he made it not complicated. Um, believe it or not, physicians do think money is complicated and that's a whole nother thing. Um, but he made it not complicated. And it was shortly thereafter that we started buying single family properties, which is just, we, that's where we went. Single family properties. I had a friend, actually was a patient who went with me to look at my first house, who kind of gave me this challenge. Like, if you don't buy this house, I'm going to buy it. And if you buy it, we'll let you use our crew to rehab it. And if you buy it and you start losing money on it, cause you can't rent it, I'll buy it from you. And so wow. it was kind of this, like, I can't really lose. So you're challenging me. And People who know me know the best way to get me to do something is to challenge me. So there we were. We bought that house. That worked. We ended up buying like 18 houses in two years, right before 2008. Wow. We learned that's, a lot of lessons in 2008, but that's a, yeah. whole, other- <laughs> that's a whole episode, right? <laughs> no, my dad is the same way. He got really into real estate before 2008, got up to about 10 properties, and then people stopped paying their rent, and it was a trickle effect from there. So I totally get it. But it was a time where you could get access to capital, you could flip so homes, easy. you could buy, you could rent, you could just really leverage yourself and your money. So that's really good. And you know what else I like about you as I'm learning more is that you didn't give up. So we're just going to say 2008 happened. A lot of people can relate to that. They get it. It was just tough times for a lot of real estate investors, yeah. but what convinced you to stay in real estate um, and become someone who pivots to syndications? Realizing, and I think it was from the Robert Kiyosaki books, because I have them all and read almost all of them, um, was that real estate wasn't the problem. It, we we were the problem. <clears throat> we were undercapitalized. We didn't, we thought we knew what we were doing. And then we just made a lot of mistakes along the way. So if you made a mistake doing something you believe in, then you just figure out how not to, you figure out what's the difference. And I, I can't really, well, actually my accountant told me you need to have some deductions and you need to do some business things. And she introduced me to a real estate, real estate investing group who I got very heavily involved with. And that was where I did my syndication mentoring and learned about syndication through them and investing and got really into it. Um, multifamily, all the usual syndication type things which was really interesting to me. So, I mean, when people think syndications, they think multifamily, they think big apartment complexes and that kind of thing, which were, you know, that's syndication. That's what the majority of people do. And it was something that could do, you, I could do. I raised some money for, for an apartment complex, but it was just, it didn't do anything for me really. It was just kind of like, like I look at it now, it's like, it's kind of how medicine is. If I can do it and I can be good at it, but it doesn't drive me. It doesn't make me want to really get out there and do it. And then I went to a, a class, took a lesson about, or actually a three-day set course about um, assisted living and residential assisted living, where you can take a single family house, re-gut it, rehab it, and use it as a home for elderly and take them out of, or not have them having to go into the gigantic facilities where they're, you know, one of 50 people that are getting taken care of by two people. And it's just a very impersonal thing. Whereas the residential assisted living is a more personal. And that's where I got the doing well and doing good 
because you can really help people. You help that senior, you help that family, you help, uh, you get, give, you have jobs for people. And that was the beginning of money with mission was from there. Um, I like that. that whole situation turned into a whole another kind of that didn't work out very well, but that's neither here nor there. It got me to money with mission. And what drives me is doing these social impact type projects. Okay. So tell us more about money with mission. Besides that one example, what other types of projects do you do to do good? And how do you get other people involved? Okay. So the, the, uh, being involved in, or even just putting out that the, I mean, the social impact words didn't, weren't the first things. It was like, I want to do something that's going to make a difference. And I was introduced to a group who was bringing a grocery store and fresh produce to an area in Tulsa or North Tulsa. And I started, I was, came onto that group to raise funds to help them get this thing done. That, that situation took, took us three years, but we finally got this grocery store in North Tulsa, which was a food desert. There had been no grocery store for like 30,000 people for more than 10 years. And I, I live not too far from the grocery store actually. And in that two block area where the grocery store is, there are like 15 fast food restaurants. And that was where people would get their groceries, quick trip or eat fast food, or they'd go to dollar stores and get their groceries and the interesting thing was North Tulsa or Tulsa had done a resilience study and have found that people in North Tulsa live 11 years, have 11 year less life expectancy than the people of rest in the rest of Tulsa. And while that's a lot of reasons for that, one of them has to be lack of access to food. So yeah. that was the food options. And exactly. The healthy food options. The fast food, hands down. <laughs> Yes. Wow. Yes. And so that's the the biggest project that that now for me, food and healthy food and learning so much about food and soil regeneration and helping farmers. And um, I'm working now to bring an indoor controlled farm to Tulsa with the woman who's got two other farms across the country. And that's so that we can actually now become a food hub and you don't have to work, have to wait for your produce to come from California and Arizona and Texas and Florida, where there's all kinds of supply chain issues <clears throat> that we found out about in uh, COVID. But now we, we're working to be able to actually have the food grown right here, which gives you much more nutrition. And so investor-wise, it's a, a building, it's real estate, and it's a business. So I'm working to, you kind of have to work the deal out. So we own the real estate, the business is running the business. And we and paying rent to the real estate. So that's how the investors work it. You ask about my company, Money with Mission. The company is actually, we don't really syndicate, but we more connecting investors to vetted projects and vetted um, general partners. So that's oh. more how I'm working this company. I like it. So for those who don't know, general partners tend to be the ones who are 
orchestrating an opportunity for investing. They could be running the syndication and also managing the investors who invest in the syndication. In the hotel space where I am, the general partner is the one that finds the deal and also will look for the investors to fund the deal. And they'll make sure that the day-to-day activities are being taken care of. It's the same and similar in apartment syndications as well. Mm-hmm. So the general partner is a key player You and hopefully someone you can trust, someone who's good with money and also really good at managing because they're managing the property, investors, expectations, and everything else that comes with owning that property. So that's really important. So you're a connector. Yes, because one of the hard things, once you realize you want to invest and you want to be a passive investor and you're a physician, now what? How do I meet these people? And I don't tell him, it's like, it's not, hopefully you trust them. You have to trust them because you're giving them your hard earned money and you want it to come back with some friends. Or if it doesn't, you want to have a good reason for why it didn't, right? Mm -hmm. So yeah, you definitely have to trust that general partner. And as people who have other careers, other things that they're doing in their life, physicians, surgeons, lawyers, all those folks, engineers, who don't have time to go out and really spend as much time as they would need to, to vet those projects and vet those people. That's what we do. I love that. So that's a really good service for busy people, but your target audience is physicians. I want to kind of go back for a second to a comment you made about physicians thinking money is hard. Why do you think they think that? And what are some tips that you have for someone who's probably thinking it, but hasn't said it out loud? I, you know, it's interesting to me that physicians are smart people, right? We, you know, gen overall are very intelligent people in their sphere. And that's the same thing with everybody else. You're really smart and you know, your you know, your stuff, but when it comes to something else, particularly in money for a lot of people is just kind of mysterious other than I make it, I spend it. I, it helps me do things. And some people don't even think about it that way. It's just like, I need to have more. I need to have more. I need to have more without thinking of what it's really doing for you. So I don't know why money is hard. It seems to be that we grow up feel, understanding that you should save money. And that's how most of my, the physician colleagues that I talk to think about saving it. The one, one of my friends who is now investing a lot took me about five years to get her to do anything, but I would listen to her on the phone talking to T-Mobile or Verizon or whatever the phone company was who overcharged her 20 bucks. She's on the phone for 20 20 minutes for that call and putting her money in a bank or giving it to somebody she doesn't know, her 401k administrator, and not thinking about that. I was like, that makes no sense to me. And one of our big biggest expenses are taxes that she never, and many of us never think about that there's a way to actually pay less in taxes, which 100% there is a legal way to pay less in taxes, 100%. And then I have the other side of people saying, but I'm supposed to pay taxes so that I can support my government, support the country, support people who don't have. And like, yes, you can do it with taxes or you can do it with the money that you have and put it where you want it to go. So that's how I think about that. And the social impact part of these is, people having food. The government's not doing that great. They're not doing that very well right now. So it's going to be up to private sector people to to solve so many of the problems that are that we have in our country, housing, food, so many, so many that it really is going to be 
up to us to solve. I completely agree. And I also want to reiterate that a lot of times when we do have the government help, it's partnering with corporations and small businesses and how they execute the strategy because there is a capacity limit, right? Yep. The government has so many employees and so many programs, but they do get a lot of money and they can always subcontract, partner, give out grants. There's so many ways that the government partners with the private sector to make sure that these initiatives can happen. And yes. that's why the key is to be a business in place ready to receive, right? Yes. Yes. Getting your business in a position where your finances are in order so when you apply for the grant, there's no question you qualify or there's no question what you're going to do with the money because you have yep. a business plan and you know what you're trying to accomplish. But if we don't set up these businesses and we don't have it there ready to go, then there's no one who can help the government execute. It's, it's too, I agree a hundred percent, the businesses and the relationships. So that's the other part of it. So some of these tax credit things, that go through different organizations, you kind of have to know, you have to be in the know to be able to even get in there and have a chance. So people like me, people like Aquania, we're out there making those connections and building those relationships so that when those things are available, we can get them and have them for our investors and our investments. Absolutely. No, that's really, really good. So I love what you said about legal ways to pay less taxes. I completely agree. I think everyone just assumes that if you're not paying what they believe your fair share of taxes, then you're getting over on the system somehow. But the reality is, at least the years that I've worked with the CPA, I've always paid my fair share of taxes, probably more than most people. But I've also been able to, as a business owner, write off a couple of things too, because I'm a business owner or because I invest in real estate, there are certain rules that allow you to write off some of your losses. And then there's other ways that you can offset your gain. So I want to kind of emphasize, it's not always about um, paying less taxes to cheat anybody, right? Sometimes it's literally just balancing it all out so that you're coming out even Steven in some cases or or where you should be right yes um because I do agree that yes I need to pay taxes to support my local school my kids go to public school I definitely want the schools to support them and I want my roads to be clear and a lot of other things to happen and I know that's through my tax dollars yes I yes everything you said <laughs> <laughs> I and and I, I'm kind of a control freak. So I want to control my own money too. So I am a very generous person, I think. So when I have that money that I didn't have to pay in taxes, it's going back out into the world to do something. I'm not just buying new clothes and getting my hair done and do do those things too. But it the majority of money goes back out to help and do other things for the community and the world, not necessarily associated with my tax dollars. Absolutely. But why not? It's our money. We can do whatever we want with it. Isn't that the beauty of it? We can give it away. We can donate, share, grow, multiply it, create an impact, you know? Yep. So tell me, do you have any stories of the impact that you've made in local communities? Um, have you ever had the chance to personally meet some of the people who are benefiting from the food or anything like that? I did. Um, 
work at the grocery store. <laughs> so I spent time up there actually. And I actually did work. I went, I would like stock and do stuff like that. So people were very, very happy to have that store and not have to be on a bus or driving a car um, way, way out to someplace to get groceries. That being said, it's a, it's not a gigantic grocery store and it is a locally owned grocery store. So not a chain. So prices are a little higher than Walmart's and those kinds of things. It's more on the I guess Trader Joe's kind of scale. So there's there's those complaints, but we take all kinds of all kinds of support. We have a um, nonprofit associated with the grocery store, so we end up giving away a lot of things. That giving away um, what do you call those things? Coupon cards, gift cards for people to be able to buy their groceries. And there's so many ways to help the community. It's actually more of a community store than just a grocery store because that whole nonprofit side is working over there. The grocery store is itself for profit, but it has the nonprofit associated with it. So there's 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 a lot of ways to make these kind of things work um, in the area. And yes, so people are happy to have their grocery store there. I am also working with a group of <clears throat> of another group that works with diabetics. So they're diabetics with out of control blood sugar. So they're it's called their A1C is measured and it's out of control. So they come into our program where we are providing fresh produce to them on a biweekly basis, teaching them how to cook, teaching them how to eat better. And this is our second year in that program and talking to those people and hearing that their A1Cs might've gone from 14 down to 10, which is still out of control, but that's a huge improvement. We had one go from 10 to six, which is basically a normal A1C from just improving his diet and people losing 20, 30, 40, 50 pounds by learning how to eat better. So those things by having that grocery store available, having the ability to get that produce in, that's part of that's working with different farmers in the area. That's why I wanna bring the local, more, more, more local produce to the area where you can grow year round because we know that nutrient dense is better for you <clears throat> and food that's picked beforehand and travels halfway across the country. Most of the nutrition or a lot of the nutrition is gone from it by the time it gets to you. Mm -hmm. So there's a lot of things wrong with the way we eat. Um, and a lot of things that I think we can fix. Just like I said, um, doing a, by a lot of different methods, it's not going to be, not one thing is going to fix all of these problems, but people working together, collaborating, coming up with solutions, is the way to get this done. The other thing we're working on up here is um, housing, affordable housing. And a lot of times affordable housing is in areas where there's not a grocery store. So one of the projects we're looking at is an affordable housing project that doesn't have a grocery store. So we wanna put a grocery store in there to not create another food desert. So we're using actually shipping containers and converting them into grocery stores. Wow. So small, but we figured out how to get a bunch of stuff in there. So it's got plenty of variety and different things to pick from. You're not just stuck with one brand of anything if that's what you want to do. I like that idea. So where are you opening the container grocery store and housing? Is there a same city? Uh, it's in Tulsa. We're, the first, the first um, uh, prototype is going up at a, um, at a nonprofit center here called the dream center and we're putting that one up there and then the plan is to what that one goes well and we're use we're teaching students and teaching um, kids about the grocery business and more about produce and more about cooking so getting that 
whole science part into it so they can see it's not just you know because people think about farmers you think about that dirty guy out in the field and who wants to do that right but there's a lot of science to growing food and selling food and the whole process behind that whole sale and so once we get that one going up and running then there's lots of neighborhoods around here that we're planning to get them into we've got a, a whole plan that now i can't think of what it is but it's a whole drawn out thing i love it and how does it feel to be a part of your community in that way to contribute to something so profound but essential like food is essential to life it exactly so it is I guess it feels I don't know how it feels honestly because it feels like it's going so slow and it's it's frustrating to me so I, I think I unfortunately live in that frustration more than I should live in though this is really happening because a lot has happened and thank you for having me on to be able to talk it through. And so I'm even hearing it in myself, how many different things have changed. I moved to Tulsa only a year and a half ago. So all of these things have happened since I've come here. So that's actually fairly quickly, um, even though it's so frustrating to me that it wasn't here. So that's beside the point, right? It wasn't here. Now it's for you to, to fix and help get your group together and let's make it happen. So it, it's really exciting to me and having the health changes, seeing the health changes in the people with our, our Fresh RX program, that that is really profound and exciting to me. Absolutely. Yeah. Cha losing 20 pounds or basically eliminating diabetes is life changing. Yes. Um, and they and there are some people who have successfully changed their habits and eliminated the need for insulin, eliminated the need to be on medication for diabetes. And it is definitely a disease that impacts a lot of people of color and it can definitely affect your quality of life. So I feel like the sooner someone can recognize that and make the necessary changes, the better they are for the rest of their life. Yep. And it is all diet. The diabetes type two is all, it's a diet. Yes, there's genetics, but people want to, and even doctors sometimes cling on to, well, it's just genetic. You're going to be that way. And that's, that's not true. You can fight genetics. You just mm -hmm. have to, you might have to fight a little harder than somebody who does not have that genetic predisposition, but you, it's genetics doesn't drive everything 100%. You can, Absolutely. You can fight things off. Absolutely. So I know we talked a little bit about multiple streams of income and you have an interest in real estate. Are there any other spaces you also invest? Yes, in some, I'm investing in some businesses also. So I'm working with another company called Philanthro Investors that has a, an under its um, umbrella education companies, water company, um, there's a plastics or get rid of plastics companies called Z Loop. I can't, I don't, I don't quite understand that one as well. Um, a health educate health um, company. So they're, they've got a lot of things going on. And I've invested in the water um, company, which is a company that helps to um, helps companies process their own water instead of their water going into the regular water infrastructure, which is crumbling. They can do it on their own and cost the same amount as if they were doing it through the city. Wow. Okay. That's really interesting. I'd love to see how that turns out. So when it comes to you and your finances, what questions do you ask yourself before investing in a new business? The, the, the number one question I ask, if I've already gone through, I have the money to do it. And I'm looking at it is if this goes bad, if we lose, if I lose all of my money, will I be okay? 
And if the answer to that is yes, and everything else falls into place and fits what I want it to do, then I'm going, I'm going to go. Good. That makes sense to me too, right? Yeah. Yeah. Um, evaluate the deal. I already know I have the money and I will not lose sleep if I lose the money. If, That's no. really important. You're, you're going to survive. I mean, right. like we talked about before, 2008 happened. We lost all our, we, oh my gosh, it was bad. And I'm still here. So I know I can come back. I mean, even I'm going to say the name Donald Trump was millions of dollars in the hole and came back. So it can happen. <laughs> <laughs> Anything is possible. <laughs> oh man, this is really, really good. So just talking to you today, I've learned that a lot can be done if a physician is smart about their money. They can get into real estate, they can make a social impact in their community, and they can invest in multiple businesses. Mm -hmm. Do you have any other tips for your target audience out there? What is something you wish you knew at the beginning of your 20-year career? Hmm. So at the beginning of my 20-year career, it's like, it's actually almost 30 now, but neither here nor there. That, so the thing that is was not as much of an issue for me as it is for my colleagues coming out now is student loan debt. And I think um, I did have some and I got really lucky and that we bought a house and I could, I paid it off with my house, but I have one of my, one of my clients was to which we were talking and she was talking about doing investing. And then we got into this bigger conversation and she had $425,000 of student loan debt. It's like, we got to get rid of that first before you can ever start investing, or I would recommend that. And there are multiple ways to get rid of your debt without having to um, give up everything. In other words, one of the things physicians that at least I was like, I worked hard to become a physician and we worked really hard and didn't make any money. And then you're all of a sudden making money and you want to kind of make up some time, right? Spend some money and do some things. You can still do some things and get your debt paid off. So I think you actually had Adam Carroll on your show. You did. I did. And um, he was recently on with me and that shred method makes yeah. so much sense to me. Yeah. So that's, you know, just to stick that out there as an ad for Adam. <laughs> <laughs> Don't worry, guys. I will include a link to that episode in the show notes so you can learn more about the shred method and my episode with Adam Carroll. That was that. So that understanding debt and getting rid of debt and the interest you're paying on your debt and all those kinds of things are just things that we really have to understand in our mortgage, the interest rates, all those kinds of things. Now, that being said, I have also friends who are saying they're not going to invest because interest rates are going up. And I say, well, that is true, but if it doesn't really matter if the deal makes sense and the numbers work, interest rate is irrelevant. It just, you have to make sure your numbers work and it might be harder to find a deal, but they're still there. So it's about the numbers. It's not about necessarily what that interest rate number is. It's 10%, it's 15%, it's whatever it is. If the numbers on what you're trying to do work, go for it. Absolutely. And it's so true because in the pandemic, I found it difficult to find a lot of opportunities, but the ones I found were very lucrative, right? Mm -hmm. And the numbers mm -hmm. made sense. So sometimes you just have to work a little harder. And obviously we love when you work smarter, Yes. So Felicia, I'm super excited to have had this conversation with you today. You're, you're just a wonderful spirit. We had a great conversation before the show and a great conversation during. 
Before I let you go, though, um, the name of the podcast is called The Purpose of Money Podcast. And so I asked all my guests this question. What is your purpose for money? Um, actually, my purpose is to give back. And that's that's a big part of it. And to have time freedom, be able to do what I want to do when I want to do it. I absolutely love that. Yes. To do what you want to do when you want to do it. Let's do it. All right, guys. I hope you enjoyed this show. If you did, don't forget to leave a five-star review wherever you're listening. Make sure to check out the show notes. Uh, Felicia, before we go, please tell my guests, where can they find you? Drop your website and any social media. So I'm going to tell you, you guys, if you want to get a copy of Seven Steps to Building Resilient Wealth, you can send an email to sevensteps at moneywithmission.com. So that's one. And you could just go to moneywithmission.com, check out resources, and you can find it there if you want to. You can um, find me on Facebook at Money With Mission, Instagram at Money With Mission, and LinkedIn at Money With Mission or Felicia Fro MD, either one. Love it. Definitely check it out, guys. Until next time, keep building generational wealth.